I I actually had the privilege this week of um, spending some more time with Adam and Adrian and a few other guys, um, and I'm catching up with thank you, thank you. I'm catching up with um, Adam again tomorrow just to chat through what we want to do with these times. And can I tell you, this is not an event that we want to run because we need to run events. I said to Adam, Matt, how would you feel if there was just five of us? And he said, that will be fine with us. I said, great. I said, we could get 500, we could get five. There could just be Jess and I. And he said, well, we'll just change the location if there's just Jess and you. I said, absolutely, we'll just do it from the home. It's not about an event. I want to get guys to register because we're going to put lunch on so we can find out how much lunch we need to buy. But this guy is coming to sow and build with us. We've been talking a lot about partnerships and how the fivefold gift ministries are to come into the local house and build and partner with the local house. And that's what we want to be able to provide. I know because you've told me that a lot of guys out of you are dreaming and dreaming long, big dreams. Now, either we accept that that's nothing and that we just move on and we go, everyone dreams, or we say, maybe God can speak to us through that. And if that's the case, then we want to start to unpack what that is and how we do that. He won't just be talking about dreams. He's going to be unpacking a lot of stuff around the prophetic, speaking in tongues, um, how God moves, um, how he's seen God move, um, how we don't understand at all how God moves as much as we've seen him move, all those kind of things Adam's going to put through in the, the day that he has, the Saturday and then the Sunday morning. So if you can, please come along to that. It will enrich your life, I promise. All right. Acts. Before I go to Acts, I've been at a, a conference um, this week which has been challenging, exciting, um, a whole range of emotions that I, I, I got to be a part of. And there's a few things that I heard and saw where God was really stirring me and challenging me. He reminded me of a, a verse that he gave Jess and I when we first... Um, when he first gave us the blueprints for the church and, and the way that he wanted us to, to lead the church. And the verse was from Matthew 9, 14, 17. It says this, Then disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is poured into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And when I read this verse, I saw a picture of God holding a vessel, and I heard him say, I want to pour it, but I can't. And I started to meditate on that and, and, and ask God what he was saying. And the reality was that, that I, I, I got through this first was that God wants to pour a new wine. He has it there ready to pour. It's not, it's not that he doesn't want to pour a new wine. It's not that he doesn't have new wine. It's none of those things other than if the vessel's not ready, he cannot pour it or it destroys the vessel. Right? And how do we know that? How many of us know the Father doesn't want to destroy the things that he's built? That's why we see old churches honorably just still praising God. Three or four members left, but, but 
are diligently just giving themselves to God. It's because God is, is glorified by that. But there is a new way. There is a different thing that he wants to do. There is a, a, a pouring out that he's going to bring us. But the challenge that I had this week while I was hearing this, because this came up quite a few times in the conference, and the challenge that God showed me while I was listening to some of the different perspectives of this verse was that we have to remember that God has already written a good and perfect plan for our lives. He's already projected the life of the church beyond anything that we can put together. He's already walked a path and shown what is before us. And he's given us an outline and a guide to do that through. One of the reasons I've started going through Acts is I believe that what they saw in this time period in, in the scriptures, what we see in Acts is actually an outline for the local church. But what tends to happen is as Christians, we want to grab something new all the time. We get bored. The world gets bored. Think about how many iPhones you have. There was nothing wrong with the iPhone 4. It still does all the same things that the iPhone 11 does. But we got bored of the iPhone 4. Brandon doesn't like that. He's like, the camera. He's like, the camera. It's a bigger screen. It still makes phone calls. You can still Google on it. It still sends text messages. But what happens is we get over it. The shoes you've got in your cupboard are still good. You don't need a new pair of shoes, but we want to buy a new pair of shoes because we get excited by the new shoes that we have. We, we, We want to move to something new all the time. Give me something better. Give me the next thing. Give me the next thing. And what I fear we do with this verse is that we say, well, God's going to pour a new wine. So we keep looking for something new. And what tends to happen is we bring things into the church that should have never been there because they're new and they're exciting. Things like express church meetings or, I'm not going to go any further than that. (laughs) We get so caught up on bringing the new thing in that we forget that God's actually given us a platform and an outline of how to do this. I believe so strongly that Acts, what we see in Acts, is exactly the outline. But where it talks about a new wineskin, I also believe wholeheartedly that the wineskin is our heart the heart of the people. It's not the way we do this. Yes, Sunday morning and meeting on Sunday morning is an old school thing, but there's, there's, there's blessing on that Sunday morning. When we were at Crossing Point, we met on a Saturday night. There was blessing on the Saturday night. There's churches who go into universities and they meet on Monday and Tuesday nights for those who work night shifts. And they meet Tuesday mornings. The point is it doesn't matter. What matters is the heart of the people who gather together. Now, for us, we've felt that the Sunday morning is the best way for us to reach cross-generational. The young guys just have to get out of bed. That's just the way it is. Brando, you made it here, though. You were here. But the reality is our heart. It's the heart of the people who gather together. But what I don't want us to do and what I kind of got a little bit... uh, upset with is that we look for the new wine and we keep going we need a new thing we need a new thing the old thing's finished we move it away but the way God operates is through his scriptures we see it in Acts you can go back and read Acts 2 again and again and again and again and you can't get away from the fact that they gathered together they prayed together they had meals with one another they cared for each other that's the that's the model right there 
But the new thing is the position of our hearts to say, God, we only want you. As I've been going through Acts, I'm, I'm blown away by the way the disciples keep pointing back to Jesus. And something that I've picked up in my prayer life through Acts is, Jesus, you are who you said you are. That's what Peter says when he first preaches. He said he was the king of glory. He's now shown us that, so we worship who he is. So now as I pray, I'm, I'm finding myself saying to God, Jesus, you are who you said you are. You are who you promised us you were. You did everything you promised us you would do which means that everything that's to come, the precedent that Jesus set was that I'm not going to lie to you. If I've given you a promise, I will fulfill it. That was the precedent he set on the cross because all the prophecy of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus going to the cross. It's amazing, and I'm going to show one this morning, how much the Old Testament actually pointed to that moment of Jesus hanging on the cross. Why? Because it was him saying, I promise I'll fulfill this thing. I promise I'll fulfill this thing. And then he comes and he hangs on the cross. He dies. He, he, he gets raised again and he goes and he's seated in heavenly places. And that's the stamp to say, I did what I said I was going to do. And what that does for us is it allows us now that every time God speaks, it's a promise that will be fulfilled. That's why when people say when you get a prophetic word and you feel God stirring on it, write it down. Reread it and reread it and reread it because if God's really promised it to you, it will come. There is a new coming, but the new is founded in the scriptures. The new is founded in what they were doing in Acts. The new is founded in the way that God is leading his people. We don't have to throw everything out, the old saying, throw the baby out with the bathwater and mix it up and do church in a nightclub or at a pub because, well, this is finished now. God's done with this. No, God will breathe on the things where his people are willing with a heart to say, God, we love you and we'll give you all that we have. We'll give you everything. So I just want us to challenge that. On our pursuit for the new wine, on our pursuit to change our heart and to become a a concave vessel willing to take what he pours out. I I need us to not forsake the old, not forsake the things that he's done in the past. Use that to understand what he's bringing through. Use that to understand the new thing that's coming. But also as a people, we need to be willing to say, God, you can come and move however you want. I was sitting here last night while we were worshipping and I had this moment where I was like, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I was just sitting here and guys were worshipping and I was trying to, to lead and, I'm, and I just thought, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Because it was like starting to, I didn't know where we were going, I didn't know what was happening and I, and I just felt God say to me, I do. So I was like, okay. So I just sat there and the room went silent. Sean and Coco stopped playing and it was silent. And there was this this beautiful place where I just felt like I don't have to do anything. We're just going to stay here. And funnily enough, we experienced that again this morning. If we trust in him, he will move. The Bible says if we knock on the door, he will answer. If we ask, we'll receive. He wants our hearts in a position where we can give everything to him and just say, we trust you. God, I trust you. That's not my sermon. 
I now have intro written on the top of my page. So I want to intro with this. I will finish at 11, I promise. No, I don't know if I promise yet. I'll find out. We had a conversation during the week with a friend of ours, Jess and I, and it was a very encouraging conversation because the conversation was one that shouldn't really be an encouraging conversation. But the person said to us, Ben, I don't know that I believe the Bible anymore. And I looked at Jess and I got excited. And she said, "Why? I didn't expect you to be excited by this. And I said, yeah, because the reason I'm excited is because now you're going to go on a journey to find out who God is. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You've got to go and do it for yourself. And I believe in the Bible so much. I believe in the Spirit of God that when the Bible says, if you knock, I'll answer. I said, if you told me you don't want to knock anymore, then I would be concerned. But instead, you're actually on a journey of going, God, I want to knock even harder. And this person has been in the Scriptures for a long time. It's been to Bible college. And I was encouraged because I thought, finally, we're starting to see true disciples of Christ. I've said from the moment I stood at this barrel, please don't read the Bible because I'm telling you to. Please don't go and, and come to church because you think that it's a good thing to do. Because everything we see in the scriptures, everything we see being poured out is about the heart of somebody. Everything we see Jesus do, what was the heart of the matter? He goes right to the heart and he says, what is your heart telling you to do? And when your heart says, God, I want to search you, I want to find you, I want to know you more. I want to tell you, I'm being honest, I don't know you at all right now, but I want to know you. That's the knocking on the door. That's the sitting down with the Bible and going, God, I don't know if I believe this, but I'm going to open it and find out. That's discipleship. Right? When the disciples came to Jesus, it was a sitting at his feet and a learning. It wasn't come to church, just get to church and be here on Sunday morning. I love that we gather together. It's phenomenal. I don't want to ever um, talk bad about us gathering together. And get here. Get a, be a part of community. Be here regularly. But it's got to be more than that. It's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be a heart that pours out and says, God, this Christianity thing is unusual. There's backbiting, there's hurting, there's, there's stabbing each other in the back, there's, there's love and then there's love that's not really love, it's kind of unusual, there's awkward conversations, there's weird events I have to go to, but all that doesn't matter, God, because I want to know who you are. I've been to some weird events. <laughs> but the reality is, is that we become a people who will sit at his feet and say, God, show me who you are. So my advice to this person was, keep searching. Let me help you however I can. Let me send you some resources. Let me send you some people who will back up the authority of the scriptures. Let me talk with you. Let me keep asking questions. Let me be with you on the journey, but it's your journey. And don't stop seeking him. Because the Bible says that when you seek him, he will answer. When you ask of him, he will give you good gifts. We have to be, start becoming a people that are disciples of him. The reason that, that we have sermons on a Sunday morning, the reason that we have somebody preach is that it gives you a little bit more to go back to the scriptures and look. It says, I, I don't remember where it says it, but I, it's in there and I'll find it for you. But it says that when Jesus was a boy, 
the Pharisees and the scribes were amazed by the questions that he asked. See, in the Jewish custom, when they would go to, to become a, 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 um, a rabbi, one of the, the tests they had to do was sit with another rabbi and they had to ask questions about God. And the better the question, the more exciting the question was whether or not they would pass that section. The reason they did that was because it kept the conversation of God alive. If we have any topic in the scriptures where we go, I know that, I don't need to hear any more. Let me warn you, you're in a very dangerous place. When we become dogmatic, it's only this way. About anything in the scriptures, we get ourselves to a place where we go, I can't learn anymore. Let me preface that by saying, there is no way in my mind I can see it any other way that Jesus didn't die on the cross was buried, raised again, ascended to heaven. In my, in my understanding, that's locked away from me. He's my king and my savior, Lord above lords. But when I speak to an atheist, I'm not closed off to hear what they have to say. Why? Because I'm looking for that place in their heart where I can see that's why you won't see the things that I can see. I'm looking for that thing that hides them away from actually seeing what God wants them to see. We have to be a people who are more open to conversation, more willing to hear a different point of view, especially between Christians. Especially between Christians. I've been in some arguments that I've realized midway through I shouldn't be here. Why am I arguing? I'm, this is not a good place. About things that just don't matter. We're with the, the, the creator of glory. We can stand before Yahweh, King, and here we are arguing whether or not we should dunk or sprinkle. I have some good arguments. For but the fact is, is that God wants us to be a people sold out for him. God, I love you. Now look, go through the scriptures. Understand these things. Get a position where you go, okay, yes, I think it is dunk because of X, Y, Z. But if, if God's not the main picture... If Jesus isn't the main thing that we are trying to discuss, to learn more about him, Shane Willard says this, I want you in my preaching, I want the cross to get bigger and the Bible to be bigger in the way that we read it and that we can have better conversations. He says it much more eloquently than that. But he says it before every sermon. When he preaches, what he wants to do is give you a bigger picture of the cross, take you deeper into what it was Jesus actually did for us. He wants the Bible to become more central in your life and explain why it should be more central. He wants our lives to change by the way that he preaches the gospel. That is phenomenal. All right, if you've got a Bible, go with me to Acts 6, verse 8. Is that okay? Is everyone spectacular? No one's upset. Not yet. <laughs> I'm going to skip the first part of Acts. Um, I'm going to come back to it. I just need a little bit more time before I come back to the first part of Acts. But I'm going to go to Acts 6, verse 8. I'm skipping that little part. As I just said, we're going to come back to that. Acts 6, six 8 to 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. 
Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians, and of the Alexandrians, of those from, from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom of the Spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. First, we have to understand the part that I just skipped is that Stephen has been given into a a place of honor. He's been given into the role of a deacon. He's been promoted into this role and he starts to operate, straight away he starts to operate in the signs and the wonders of God. But have a look there at Acts 6 verse 10. It says, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen's operating in a hostile place. He's operating in a place that he shouldn't really have been. He was declaring Jesus in a place that didn't want to declare Jesus. He was declaring Jesus in the place of the synagogue where they had just crucified him. And he's saying Jesus is the one who will come and destroy this place, break down the legalistic things, and bring about his grace and his glory. But I love that it says that they could not withstand the wisdom of the Spirit with which he was speaking. When we go into an area, into a place, into a battleground, whatever it is that, that, that you see it as, and we speak from the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the enemy cannot refute the things that we say. There was a, a, a famous scientist that explained light and darkness and explains the way that a room cannot get darker. It can only be dark, but a room can get brighter. Right? When you turn all the lights off and it's pitch black, that's as black as it's getting. That's as dark as it's getting. You can't turn more darkness on. However, if you bring a candle into the room or two candles or 50 candles or these light bulbs that are like 20,000 candles, the room becomes more and more and more illuminated. I said a few, a few weeks ago in a sermon that that, that understanding of, of the sniper that when, when you walk into, when, sorry, when a, when a scout sniper from the army, when he makes that first shot, everyone knows where he is. That's why it's so important for a, for a sniper in the army to hit on the first shot. Normally he has one assignment, one person to take out. If he misses, everyone knows where he is. He becomes very, very, has anyone seen the movie Shooter when they're on the top of the hill and the guys know that they're there? because they, he hits the two shots and then, he, and then all of a sudden the whole army knows where he is and they can't move. That's the same with the, with the spiritual realm. When you bring a candle into a dark room, you know exactly where that candle is because you can see it. That's why when people say, well, I started to pray and I started to get more and more into God and then it just got too hard and I let it go. Yeah, because you started to turn the light on. And all of a sudden, the enemy started to see what it was you were doing, and it, it became harder and harder and harder for you to do it. I think I've used this analogy a hundred times before, but I hate going to the gym. The first three weeks of the gym are awful. It's like you become instantly more tired, you're hungry, 
you want those delicious snacks that are in front of you because you're, you're trying to remove yourself and put yourself into a different place. Those things become much, much more difficult. I only recently experienced this, but when you first start a fast, those first two days, my goodness. I think in the future I'm going to just make those days where I don't talk to anybody or go anywhere. Because you start a fast and someone walks in and goes, hey, I got a free plate of donuts. Who wants donuts? And you're like, you weren't here last week with the donuts. <laughs> when I was eating donuts, you weren't here. You didn't bring donuts in. Because when we decide in our heart, okay, God, I'm going to give this thing to you, it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. Because the enemy doesn't want us to succeed in the things that God has for us. That's why we see so many Christians who just go to church on a Sunday morning. They get their high five and their hug. Then they go home and they live their life as normal until next Sunday morning. Because those, those guys have probably started and thought, God, I'm going to give you my everything. And then they've been kicked. And they've gone, this is too hard. We have to persevere through the things. But when, like what it says right here, when Stephen goes into that place, he withstands because of the wisdom of the Spirit with which he's speaking. He never takes his eyes off the Spirit. He operates through the Spirit of God. He allows the Spirit to speak through him. He doesn't do it in his own strength. When we shift and we try and do it in our own strength, we lose the, the, the ability to actually succeed in what God has for us. We have to do it through his strength. That's why last night was so challenging because I'm saying, God, what do I do? He says, well, nothing or it'll be garbage. Let me do it. I'm like, okay. But we have to constantly check ourselves on that. When we're going to a business meeting and we think we've got it all wrapped out, stop before you go into a business meeting. God, I give this to you. God, I give you this meeting. I give you my voice. Say what, I need, say what needs to be said in this. Before you go into a classroom, into a coffee baristing machine, before your kids wake up, God, I give this to you. Allow your spirit to flow through me. That's all you have to say. You don't have to do a 40-minute prayer session. Just, God, I give this to you. Verse 11 to 14 says, They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him and brought him before the council. They set false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this, Jesus of Nazareth, will destroy this place and will change the customs of Moses. They set up false people to lie, to break down who he was so that his voice wasn't worth anything. This is the same thing we see with... Um, Nehemiah on the, wall, on the wall, when Sanballat sends a letter, an open letter to Nehemiah that passes through all the surrounding villages that all of them could have read because there, there was no seal stamped with bad things about Sanballat. It didn't matter that it wasn't true because by the time it got, sorry, by the time it got to Nehemiah, his reputation would have already been destroyed. There's a thing called misinformation. They use it in politics all the time. We're about to start seeing it tons in the, new, in, the, in the election between Trump and whoever they finally decide to put in. But there's a thing called misinformation. If I can get somebody to look at the bad things about you, they won't see the good things. It doesn't matter that there's a thousand good things and two bad things. Just keep them on the bad things. Keep feeding information that may not be true, but keeps them looking at the wrong thing. This happens in churches all the time. 
well, he said this and she said that and he's done this. There's misinformation all the time where churches rise and split, especially against leaders and in, in leadership teams. Well, he said that she said that he said to this other person that they did this. So this guy served diligently and done 500,000 good things and honored you and, being, and glorified you and, and worked with you, but they do one bad thing and all of a sudden that's the only thing we see. Misinformation, misinformation, misinformation. When we stay in the spirit and ask God to reveal the real heart of that person, we won't see the bad things, we'll see the good things. When we can become a people who say, God, what do you say about Graham? Who do you say he is? Because I tell you what, God won't see the bad things. He sees the good things. Why? Because the scripture tells us that. No longer is he accounted for the things that he's done. It's poor. So when I say, God, I'm struggling with Graham. He's really grinding my gears. Please show me how you see him. I love you, Grant. (laughs) I've had to ask God. We can do that with everybody. Please, God, show me how you see them. And all of a sudden, you start to get this understanding of that person that you never saw before. The Pharisees in this place did not want to see the good things about Stephen. Why? Because if they did, they have to accept Christ. And if they accepted Christ, they could lose everything because he was going to tear down the very system they were the heads of. Stephen stayed in the presence, he held his composure. And he never shifts his gaze from God. And his face remains like an angel. What an incredible piece of writing to have about you. Ben came into the service station and his face was like an angel. I'd like someone to say that about me. What an awesome place to be where the people around you go, his face was like an angel. Change over to Acts 7, 1 verse 53. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. Sorry, actually, I'm not going to read all of this because there's a lot here. I'm going to explain what it says though. When you have some time, go and read this Acts 7, 1 verse 1 to 53. I'm going to skip down because there's a lot in there. There's a lot that he says, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing Stephen does. From verses 1 to 47, Stephen goes through the forefathers of his faith. So you need to understand he's just been captured. He's been brought before um, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the holy ones in the temple. And this is what he decides to do. He goes and, and they ask him, do you, do you want to say anything? And he says, yes. From verse 1 to verse 47, he goes through the forefathers of the faith. He goes through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Solomon. He goes and he tells all these stories about the things that happened in the Old Testament. He highlights all the triumphs. He highlights all the good things that happen, the way God moves. But then he goes forward and he says this from verse 48. He says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in the house made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. 
Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Stephen goes back and he says, these are all the stories you know because they understood all of the Old Testament. They understood the stories of old. You know all of these heroes of the faith, all the things they did. But let me tell you something. The one who comes now, Jesus, King, the Messiah, he comes to fulfill all of that. And then the challenging thing, this is the biggest the biggest um, punch to the face, I guess, <laughs> for lack of way to explain it, that he says, because what Stephen is doing here is he's quoting Isaiah 66. He's quoting a writing they would have known. And it says this, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. And he who presents a grain offering like the one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. They have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. And when I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that is which I do did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemy. Stephen, right in that place, is saying, you know what this says. You know that if you turn Jesus down right now in this place, you know what the Bible has told you is going to happen. But the problem is, is you don't realize that he's the Messiah. You don't realize that he's the Holy One. But this is your option. This is your choice now. Isaiah 66 was speaking exactly about who Jesus is. He throws them, he lobs them a handball and says, this is your option now to let me go and to glorify the name of Christ. But it's so brutal. It's so brutal that he's saying to them, you will be forsaken, left in your abominations. There will be harsh treatment for them and bring fears upon them. For those who I called and no one answered, I called you, Pharisees. I called you, come and be with me, and you didn't answer. Stephen is explaining the power and the authority of Christ. He's warning them that this, that this will happen and that, that this happened in the past and that it will not stop the name of Jesus. He's saying, those guys you worship, my, um, Moses, Abraham, Joseph, he is greater than all of those. And he's right before you. Why won't you choose him? You know what you've been given if you don't go the way he's asked you to go. You've read it. You've quoted it. You learned it all your childhood. And now you're standing right before it. And I'm giving you the option you get to choose. See, we get that all the time. God's saying, I, you know who I am. I'm the creator. I'm almighty, El Shaddai. 
you get the opportunity, come with me. Come and walk with me. Come and do the things I've asked you to do. Come and spend time with me. Come and be with me. He's giving them the option to listen to the wisdom of old, to hear him and to understand that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that without Jesus, they will not live a life worth living. And this is their response, Acts 7, 54 verse 60. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open until the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city, they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. Stephen carries right to his death, God. These broken people living in a a life of torment and pain, yet please forgive them. Give them another option. See, that's the, that's the incredible power of the cross, that even this, even those who knew who Christ was, they saw his ministry, they watched him bring people back from the dead, they heard the stories, they watched him walk through the city, and still they said no. Even them, Jesus says, but I still love you. I'll still give you the opportunity to come and stand before me. I'll still give you the opportunity to be with me. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I said this morning that so many things in the world, they they meditate. Most famous businessmen, wealthy businessmen, you know what the first thing they do in the morning? They meditate. Any... um, motivational speaker, any well-known, very well-known Facebook motivational person will tell you that the beginning of your day, you need to give the first hour to meditate. And it works for them. They're seeing incredible things happen, wealth like you wouldn't believe coming in. So you start to look and you go, what is it about meditation, the quietening of the soul to hear something in the spirit realm? But what happens is as Christians, we go, oh, we shouldn't do that because it's, it's new age and it's scary. It was, a, it was a primary function for the early church. They would go into the temple courts and they would bring themselves before the sacrifices and they would quieten themselves and, we don't like the word, but meditate on the things of God. So right in this moment where things seem to be falling apart and Stephen's in an awful place, he realizes they're going to kill me for this. It's going to be gruesome. I'm going to have stones thrown at me until I die. It's awful. And the one thing I want to do is, boom, set my eyes on heaven. Do you know why it was so easy for him to do that? Because he would have done it again and again and again and again and again. I heard something during the week that was quite... Interesting. 
You ever been, you know how you have a work colleague and you spend a lot of time at the desk next to your work colleague and all of a sudden you go into work one day and you hear them say a common phrase that you use, like a word or a thing, and you start thinking, they're copying me. And then you spend more time with them and they say the thing again. Like when I first met Mal, someone said to me, you're going to start saying flopping heck a lot. And I was like, no, I won't. That is a rubbish thing to say. I will not be saying flopping heck. Within a month, flopping heck was coming and still comes out of my mouth often. Flop. I don't even know. It doesn't make any sense. But what happens is the more time that I spent with somebody, the more his mannerisms rub off. The more I find it funny, the more I go, actually kind of cool. I kind of, oh, Mal's in the room again. It makes me feel a little bit excited. I start using the lingo. Now we start to communicate with the same lingo. We're friends. Now we're laughing and joking at the same things. Right? The more time I spent with him, the more it got snuck into my vocabulary, and the more now people that I spend time with, that word sneaks into their vocabulary. So it works through 100%. Who started 100%? That is rubbish, Josh. 100%. But all of a sudden, all your friends start saying it, right? It becomes, becomes a term that gets used among people. The reason Stephen was able to go straight into that place and use the language of God to stay in the Spirit was because he constantly spent time in that place. He constantly spent time around the language of God. He constantly spent time learning the language of heaven, learning who he is. The more we do it, the easier it is. I can remember when I first started going to church, there's no way in the world I would have made it through a three-hour worship session. But I could have stayed last night. I could have stayed there for, for more and more hours. I walk back in this morning, I think, flip, we're going to sing more songs again. I walk in, as soon as I walk through the door, I was like, man, I just want to be in that place again. Why? Because I've become accustomed to who he is. I've become accustomed to that place. I've become accustomed to giving myself to him. And I want to do it more and more because I learn from him. I learn the language of heaven. I learn who my father is. I learn who Jesus is more and more and more. Every time I drive down the street on a Sunday morning, I pray for the other two churches and for us on the way in. And Jess asked me about my prayer a little while ago because my prayer is, God, may they see you more. So I drive past House Church. God, may House Church see you more. May they know you more. I drive past Liberty. God, may Liberty Church see you more. May they know you more. I get to communion. I say, God, may we see you more. May we know you more. Why? Because it's a relationship that goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper the more time we spend with them. I know more about my wife now than I did last year. And I'll know more about her in 50 years if, we, if, we, if we're alive 50 more years. Yeah, we should be alive in 50 more years. In 50 years. <laughs> Had to do the math quick then I will know about her now. Why? Because it's a relationship we spend with one another that grows and grows and grows. So if things, if you go to a prayer meeting and it feels awkward for you, this is not a slap on the wrist. It's, this is how you can make it feel not awkward for you. Do that more often. Spend more time in prayer. Start at five minutes a day. Move to 10, move to 15. If a worship time feels awkward for you, set aside half an hour of your day and just put worship music on and just worship God. And people go, well, I don't know, I don't know how this 
it's supposed to look. This is how it's supposed to look. God, I feel awkward. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to give you praise. Go to Revelations 4 verse 5. Read the picture of the throne room. Close your eyes. Picture that throne room and just say, holy are you, God. And when you start to feel like I'm slipping out of it and it's getting bored and awkward, holy are you, God. Because it starts small, but then the more we spend, the more time we spend with him. That's why Stephen is able... i got three more minutes. So I'm going three minutes past 11. That's why Stephen in this place, just before he's about to get stoned, he looks up and he says, God, I see you. I see the Father. I see Jesus at your right hand in glory. Two things. I know that's where my power comes from, and I know that's where I'm going. So right in the midst... Right in the midst of him about to die, he stops and he looks to heaven. Sylvia, right in the midst of her pain and suffering, right in the midst of the walls coming down around her, she stops and she sets her eyes to heaven. As a people, when, when things start to go wrong, we start to panic. But how is it that Stephen, standing amongst all of his accusers, all holding their stones, I'm sure they would have been picking the right stone out because they know they get to stone, stone him. They're, they're looking at him. There would have been filth and anger. The spiritual realm would have been on fire. There would have been all kinds of war and wrestling going on. It would have been chaos in that place. He's trying to argue, no, this is the right thing. Jesus is the king. You guys have it wrong. Please come back and understand. Right in the midst of that, he stops. Jesus, I can see you. It's all worth it. Everything's worth it. And then from that place, when he's seeing the the throne room of God, he's seeing God the Father, he's seeing Jesus, the first things that come out of his mouth, Father, forgive them. Jesus, when he hangs on that cross, he would have had the same thing. He looks up to heaven. He sees God the Father. The immense amount of love pours out from heaven onto him. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What? They're the guys that are killing you. They're throwing stones at you. They're calling out all kinds of things that aren't true. They're calling you all kinds of awful names. Father, when I'm with you in the throne room, your love is greater than anything we can understand. Father, forgive them. That's why when I stand, I ask God, "Show show me who Graham is. When I'm looking at heaven and I'm seeing the throne room of God, that's, my, that's where I'm visualizing myself in Jesus at the right hand of the Father. The love flows from him into me. And I go, wow, I can see who Graham is because of your love. Father, forgive him. Forgive me. And all of a sudden, our feud between each other, our problem becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. Wow. Why? Because the love of God pours over us. They covered their ears and they rushed him because they did not want the power and the authority of which Stephen was speaking. They cover their ears because Stephen starts to speak life over the situation. He starts to declare the goodness of God and they didn't want that to ruin the position they were in. So they cover their ears, they chase him and they tackle him down and they kill him. The interesting thing is a little precursor potentially to next Sunday's sermon is that there was a man there named Saul who was right in the midst of Stephen's stoning. 
Brandon's like, oh, it's like an Avengers trailer. There was a man named Saul, but something happened to Saul in that place. I'm going to talk about that in the next few weeks. I hope this has been helpful. If I can give you one thing to take away from this, if there's one thing from Stephen's story in this, it's that right in the midst of our wars, right in the midst of everything falling apart, right in the midst of of it seeming like God's not there, God doesn't want to be with us, God's not with us, stop. Close your eyes, put your head toward heaven and say, God, I want to see you in this moment. God, I want to see you here in this place. If you don't know what that looks like, go to Revelations 4, 4 verse 5. Sorry, Revelations 4 and Revelations 5 and read them. It paints you a picture of the, heaven, of the heavenlies. So why don't you stand? We're just going to pray and then we can go and have some coffee and some snacks. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. God, we glorify your name. You're the beautiful one. The holy one. Yahweh. God, we worship you because you are worthy. We worship you because you are glorious. You're magnificent and incredible, Jesus. We stand amongst the crowd just worshipping your name, Jesus. We set our gaze upon you. God, help us to be a people like Stephen, Lord. Help us to be a generation like Stephen. That even when it's unpopular, even when it could get us stoned, even when it could get us killed, Father, we'll stand and say that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Even when we're the weird one in the room, God, when we're the unpopular guy, we'll stand like Stephen did, Jesus, and say, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and who you said you are is true. God, may you have your way in our lives. May you set our hearts ablaze. Mold us and make us, Father. Like Psalm 139, go into the places of our heart where things are not of you and remove them, Father, so that we can worship and praise your name. We love you so much. We honor you, Jesus. We declare your kingship in this house. We declare your kingship in this city and we declare your kingship in this nation. You reign, God. We love you, Jesus, and we honor you in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Haley has made some spectacular cakes and things. She's been baking for weeks. So have some snacks, have some coffee, and we will be chatting.